Well, as it turns out, whenever you're at the heartbeats, you have the current flows in the, in the body. They also radiate magnetic fields. I mean, produce magnetic fields, which easily radiate right through the skin and out into the environment around us. Now, how do I know that? Well, let's take a, a different device called a magnetometer, which measures magnetic fields out here in space in front of the body and measure the heart's magnetic field. Yeah, and I think relevant to what you guys are talking about on, on your interviews and shows a lot, it's also through those same years is when a lot of our natural kindness and compassion and stuff kind of gets beat out of us. So I just kind of use that as a backdrop or an analogy for what, what I mean to where, you know, we start evolving to where it makes more sense, even for our own, and many, many studies bear out what I'm about to say here, that it's really collaborate, collaborating with others and being kind and compassionate is the best for our own careers and certainly for our relationships. I was just, in the, before you even invited me to this, I, I was just reading something that what women want most in men is kindness. Hello, my name is Clay Boykin, and I am in search of the new compassionate male. I believe in the midst of these incredible times of change, a new compassionate male is emerging as the new archetype. And this podcast is intended to give voice to both men and women on the overarching topic of compassion consciousness in men. Hello, world. It's me, Dennis, and welcome to In Search of the new compassionate male. I'm the co-host and I'm here with the founder and my partner, Clay Boykin. Hello, Clay. Hey, Dennis. How you doing? Doing great. Good. Today we have, and I'm thrilled to say, Dr. Roland McCready. Dr. McCready is the director of research for the HeartMath Institute, an organization that I knew many, many years ago, lost track of, and I'm anxious to hear what he's got to share with us today. He's also a professor at Florida Atlantic University, and he is a psychophysiologist, and he studies <laughs> and he studies the physiology of emotion. Welcome. Oh, welcome, Roland. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, it was great to great to rediscover Clay. I think we probably met. I don't know. 18, 20 years ago, maybe something I like think that. so. I think so. I was with Motorola at the time in Austin, and I think y'all were doing some work with Motorola, maybe in Florida. Yeah, well, for a few places actually. Yeah, a few places era, during, during that era. Yeah. yeah, and I had the occasion to fly out and and spend a little time and uh, and then come back. And I yeah. always remember that. Yeah, you know, I'm an ex Motorola my person myself. That's right. Yeah. Were you in Phoenix? No, I was a, a communications engineer, so I was a field engineer. I was I went out and fixed the stuff, you know, for police, fire departments when the local locals couldn't. You know, I was that guy that got it. Well, I'm a I'm an old semiconductor guy, so I put the stuff in the stuff that you fixed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. How wonderful! And I'm a consumer, so Motorola has happened to be as, as I take this right out of. This is a Motorola phone, so I'm a consumer. I, this is the, this is the great great grandchild of all the work that you guys have done. Yes. Well, and unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, but Motorola is now owned by a Chinese company. I think if I'm ah well, see as as is so much of what we're doing, and what a time to be alive, Roland. I, you know, when we when we talk about there's so much uh, so much really learning and relearning and rediscovering. And so I, I want, what I want to start is I want to start about what psycho 
physiology. Could you please, how do you say that at a cocktail party? What do you, how do you, how do you describe your field? Well, it's really um, understanding the, I guess I could say it this way, the interface between how we feel, how we think and feel, and what goes on in the activity in our bodies. You know, that's the the psycho part, right? Right. It's feelings, behaviors, and Mm -hmm. physiology. Um, I could say the underlying activity in our brain and nervous system and hormonal system. But, uh, you know, our research is really saying that you can't quite look at it that way because it's just as much as what's going on in our thoughts, feelings, intuitions. Yes. That are really driving the activity in our body, in our nervous system, in our hormonal system. Uh, So it's kind of a different way of thinking of it, but that's really what I would say the data really, really suggests. It's really what's going on. And I, I, I don't know how wide you, the, the audience is here, but I tend to call these our energetic systems. Yes. You know, the vibrations, because mm-hmm. they're actually, they are. You just can't put a, an emotion or a thought or an intuition no. under a microscope. Right? But when, when we, you know, when we talk about string theory and we talk about the, the, the work that everything is a vibration, that, that if matter and energy can, can be interchanged, then the vibrations there are what creates whatever we, you know, look upon, it collapses. Mm-hmm. So how could they not be interchanged? Well, right. Well, yeah, in, in the modern world, but there's still a lot of people that kept kind of the blinders on well yeah there were a lot of people that had the blinders on with copernicus or or, or with i mean this is yeah. these are all the things that we're learning one of the things that clay and i talk about is is that uh that uh radio waves existed before an instrument to happen to detect them. well absolutely right i mean and, and so much of what we i from my perspective what we discover and and there's certainly great advances going on in material science and technology and, and all that, no question. But, you know, our fundamental really understandings of how the universe and life, especially life, works, there, there hasn't been any significant advance in over 100 years. That's exciting. So, so what impelled you? And Clay, I'm sorry, I don't mean to dominate this. Keep anymore. rolling. I uh, just I, what, I'll what jump in. <laughs> Roland, what, what impelled you to go in the direction of this? From being a Motorola engineer, here you are, a Motorola engineer. You're you're out there. Uh, you're out there working. The, but there was an impelling to get you in this direction. Well, that's a long story, but. Um... I think even before motor, my engineering, you know, times I was military and then mm-hmm. uh, the University of Nebraska and then Motorola, and there was always something in me. Even back to high school, I was a kid who was building Heathkit radios and transmitters, and you know, junior high and high school through that era, and I kind of grew up. Uh, my grandfather was a small town mechanic, right? So I, from a very early age, grew up in that kind of world and. So I was always asking questions like, well, what is a magnetic field anyway? <laughs> and nobody could ever answer that. I mean, they give you formulas, and which I've forgotten most of now, to be honest, but, yeah, but describing the behavior of them. And we're, we're really good at that. We can make radio waves carry information and like we did at Motorola and still do. But the point I was going to, well, there's two questions that I think you're addressing there. Um, one is what we discover in a lot of things is really mimicking what we, biology already does, if that makes sense. Uh, as we talk about radio waves, well, as it turns out, and some of our work shows that we are broadcasting radio yeah. waves, and that those waves 
not radio waves, but electromagnetic waves, and that those waves carry information just like we would use in a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we discover is really, by nature, is already figured out and, and doing much more efficiently than the, than the technology we invent to try and mimic what's already going on. So that would say that there's a field around us. Well, there is. I want to t- explain that to me. I, I mean, I can't touch it. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll do that. But to finish your other question, um, so I was. I had a good time at Motorola, don't get me wrong, but there was always mm-hmm. a deeper something, right? And I wasn't quite, I guess, wired to care, you know, to play the uh, the male, I guess you could say, game, especially for this and the corporate sure. thing. So I actually left um, that world. Uh, well, at first I went to Miami and still working for Motorola in another mm-hmm. context. I was supposed to inst- oversee the installation of a countrywide communication system in Columbia. And uh, that fell through. I actually found out many years later why that fell through after I'd already been hired to, to do the job. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's another story. And after that, I, you know, my interest, I read, I found a book that um, was talking, it was actually about the field called radionics, which is a, a kind of a more um, different perspective on biological fields and wet ray waves and stuff. And that got me intrigued. And that's kind of what got me into the study of consciousness. And uh, so I moved, I packed up my uh, stuff and moved to California to get a degree in consciousness studies. One of the first degrees and the first universities that gave degrees in that, a small accredited university actually ended up being here in Boulder Creek, California. And then that got me into a, you know, meditation, that kind of things. And, um, I won't go through the whole story, but then uh, let's just say, uh, well, I get through that the, that crowd of people um, was part of a group that introduced spirulina to the world. You may not have heard of that, but it's a superfood. Oh, yes. It's a superfood, mm-hmm. isn't it? Is yeah, yeah you can actually live on it, and that got proven many times. And, mm-hmm. and So this this kind of opened my heart a little bit, I think you could say, too. Uh, what years were these? Uh, this would have been the 1970s, late 70s. Okay, good. All and, right. And uh, in the, early, the early 80s was the spirulina thing. And, yep. And uh, life unfolded. Uh, actually, National Enquirer did a uh, cover story on, on spirulina. And um, anyway, we went from a, a company selling about 100000 150000 a month and this stuff through the health food stores and consumers and things to, uh, I think, I personally wrote about $20 million of business in the next two weeks. So it was a you know just way huge jump. <laughs> sure. uh, that's that's its own story. I don't want I don't want to go into all that how we pulled that off. But um, the point of the, the reason that I wanted to share this of the of the history was we took the profits of that and because uh, our, our we really were a motive to feed the world's hungry populations. Why we were doing this because I could care less about it otherwise, frankly. Um, so we took the profits of that and went to the Southern California out in the middle of a desert and uh, proved you could actually grow spirulina in the, in the middle of a desert and feed the world's hungry populations. You could set these up locally and problem solved, right? Way ahead of our time. I mean, we had these giant you know, uh, solar-powered spray dryers and things to process it. It was all there. It all worked. And that went absolutely nowhere in terms of solving hunger problems. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, you know, I talk about that when my idealism bubble got popped, you know, because mm. here we are, you know, I mean, because I, I even through, you know, my other studies and practices, 
you know, and I, I probably need to say here, I was grounded enough in my electrical engineering side of things that I never got too far into the wacky stuff. Right. If that makes sense. Um, you know, I was always pretty grounded through it. But anyway, what I, through that era, you know, we talk about consciousness, you know, it's really all about consciousness and da 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 da. And so after that experience, that became a felt knowingness, if I could say it that way, more than a concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically after that experience and realizing how it was blocked, it was really consciousness problems. It was people, you know, leaders of countries and things. I basically said, well, the heck with this humanitarian stuff. I'm going to go make money again. <laughs> uh, that's what I did. So I started a company in electrostatics and kind of went into that field and and uh, we grew to a, you know, a multi-million dollar company in uh, just a very short time, two or three years. And uh, that was a, a fun ride, too. I mean, I had a great time through that. And But there was still that deeper yearning, you know, mm-hmm. of kind of, I think what I incarnated with, probably more likely, you know, looking back even into my childhood, that I really wanted to do something, you know, to better better the world, not just my own life. And uh, so another sports car in a driveway wasn't kind of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so then I met Doc Childry. Uh, well, I, I kind of vowed to myself that I'm not going to get reinvolved in this humanitarian type things or, you know, doing good uh, for the world unless it's something that can really shift consciousness, you know, at people and in a mass scale because otherwise I might as well go have a good life and make lots of money. And Exactly. I mean, when, when, I mean, when you talk about shifting consciousness, uh, let's take this smartphone. No, no technology has ever been adopted as quickly mm-hmm. as as the smartphone has mm-hmm. from from not being there to to how quickly pe- people are. So that was a shift in consciousness, right? So a shift in consciousness uh, from from a mechanical standpoint. No, that's not how I mean it. I'm talking about something quite different. Uh, let me let me give you another example. Please. Uh, I used to say, not that many years ago, that so I'd read this, you know, in some papers and things, that with 10% of the world's military budget, that every every human being on planet Earth could be fed, have clean water, educated, and, and have housing. Mm-hmm. At least basic, all their basic needs met. Exactly. 10% of what we spend on war and bombs and that kind of nonsense, right? Um, but I could never find the reference until about uh, three years ago when I met uh, Celia, Scylla Ellsworthy, um, who's actually been nominated for three but three Nobel Peace Prizes. And uh, in fact, I've got her book laying around. Here it is, Business Plan for Peace. She's mm. going to be a speaker at one of our upcoming events here. Uh, Wonderful. And what, what, that was really neat because she did the actual, the hardcore math and work on it. And I was when I was saying 10%, I was wrong. It's far less than 10%. Wow. Is this not a problem in consciousness? It's not technology. We don't need another iPhone or smartphone. Or we have everything right now and have had for years that would solve these problems. It, that is clearly a problem in human consciousness. Does that make sense? Does that help give you what I'm so I'm talking about? Uh, it, it absolutely. It, it absolutely does. Because, because if I... It, this is wonderful. All right, continue, continue. Okay. So any, anyway, it's you know our our own growth in how we are able to self-regulate and really be more inclusive in 
compassionate and kind. And That's why we're in search of, right, Clay? It absolutely is. You know, we've been, for the past two years, we've been talking to men and women all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's why we call it in search of the new compassionate male. Mm-hmm. I may be an idealist, but I think that, and I believe that underneath all of the negative things that we're seeing out in the world, that there's an undercurrent of compassion and that there's a shift that's coming and we're in the midst of where compassion consciousness is, is going to, going to rise up. And that's why I was particularly interested in talking with you to compare notes on which, what you think about that. Well, we have a, an annual event that we do on our, one of our projects called the Global um, Coherence Initiative, and the title of it is The Rise of Co- Collective Compassion. That's in March, uh, three days, three half days, March 18th, 19th, and 20th, I believe. But uh, Are you doing it both virtually and on site? Yeah, we're having to do it. We used to do these um, as big gatherings. We used to go to every, invite everybody to Cancun, and they, they were great uh, events that we had down there. This would be about our eighth year, but the, the last year and this year we're having to do it virtually because of the, uh, obviously, the, we're in the pandemic era here right now. Wow, so HeartMath Institute orchestrates and puts that on globally? Yeah, yeah. My goodness, my yeah. goodness. So which is part of our, uh, as I mentioned, global um, coherence initiative, which is one of our, our projects. I don't know how wide you guys want to get here, but uh, I think well, I want to. I think I want to go there. I, okay. I, you know, somewhere along the line, I want to. Well, hear let me about let me that. let me tie this back in then yeah. to your 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 question you asked me a few minutes ago, Clay. You know, when you asked me about we radiate fields. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. So, and it's sometimes people push back on this, and it's just the absolute craziest thing. Uh, one of the books on my bookshelf back here is um, a book on bioelectromagnetism, and there's a drawing in it from 1863 mm-hmm. where people had actually externally measured the fields of the body and had it right. <laughs> so it's not like this is something I invented, right? I mean, sure. uh, and every hospital has equipment to measure what's called MCG. Well, let me, let me back up. When we put electrodes across the body to measure your heartbeat, the electrocardiogram or on your head to measure brain waves or the EEGs. Mm-hmm. What those devices are literally measuring is current flow. Right, they're differential amplifiers. That probably you know what I mean, Clay, by that. Um, well, I was in marketing, so maybe not. Uh, okay, I thought you, I'm thinking you're Motorola. You must have some <laughs> electronics background. But any, anyway, Clay, Clay just, just 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 nod when. Yes, when, yes, when of, course I know. Know. <laughs> of course I know. Of course I know. I oh, use yes. differential amplifiers all the time. Of course. <laughs> so basically, you're measuring the flow of electricity. Right. That's that's really what it is. That's why it's called the electrocardiogram or electroencephalograph mm-hmm. for measuring brain waves. So whenever there, this is physics 101. I mean, whenever you have a sure. flow of electrical current, you create a magnetic field, right? So, uh, and the heartbeat is by far the largest source of rhythmic electrical magnet, magnetic energy in the body. Mm-hmm. So we measure the heartbeat in millivolts, and you measure brainwaves in microvolts, mm-hmm. in order of magnitude wow. greater, right? So. All right, let's use our cell phone analogy. You held yours up, so I'll hold mine up here. I've mm-hmm. got one, too. So cell phones work indoors, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, those invisible waves are going through the wall. Well, it's the magnetic component that's going through the wall, right? And that's what we're using to carry your voice or the picture, you know, exactly. whatever. We're, we're, we're modulating that signal. 
uh, someone I know a little bit about from my old days, right, and my original career. Well, as it turns out, whenever you, the heart beats, you have the current flows in the, in the body. They also radiate magnetic fields. I mean, produce magnetic fields, which easily radiate right through the skin and out into the environment around us. Now, how do I know that? Well, let's take a, a different device called a magnetometer, which measures magnetic fields out here in space in front of the body and measures the heart's magnetic field. Now, uh, every most large hospitals have devices called MCGs, magnetocardiogram. Where you can you don't touch you don't touch the body with anything physical. You measure the the field of the body. Now I'm not going to go into why that's better for certain why hospitals have them, but just I don't think that'd be that interesting to, right now. But point is, every time the heart beats, we radiate a magnetic field, and you can back up that magnetometer about three feet before you lose the capacity to detect the heart's field. You take the same sensor, you back up about it. You can measure also brain waves externally without touching you back up about an inch before you lose right? the capacity to detect that signal. So clearly the heart's the big player here. Um, it wasn't, this guy, this goes back into the 90s in our research here at the HeartMath Institute. Using about the same techniques that I would have used back in my Motorola days to decode or demodulate the information being carried by, in this case, a radio wave to carry the signal, you use them the same thing. Just applied those to the heart signal, and lo and behold, you could demodulate and see the information patterns carried by the field. And not only that, you can actually hook yourself up and get the right equipment and watch these these frequency patterns change in real time as we change our emotional state. Now, so, now is that is that anything like biofeedback? Well, it's is we can take that. We we actually developed the first consumer level biofeedback. Um, so yes, yes and no. Okay. Right. So biofeedback is big is a kind of a term. Any, right. You're measuring something and feeding back the result. So l looking in a mirror and smiling is a form of biofeedback. Mm -hmm. You know. So um, what underlies that inf those information being patterns that we are literally broadcasting that we are radiating into the field into our we can call it your personal field environment has to do with the what's called heart rate variability. And so what that is, is uh, and you would remember this from what we taught probably back when you were here many years ago, Clay, but in a healthy person, our heart rate changes with every heartbeat. So most people know what heart rate is, right? Just simply how many times does the heartbeat in a minute. But in reality, our heart rate's changing with each and every heartbeat. So the time, there's always varying time between each consecutive pair of heartbeats. And that actually is a, a way that the physiology encodes information is the space between things. So there's really no such thing as a steady heartbeat? <laughs> not, not in a healthy person. In, in fact, if, you, if your heart rate becomes metronomic-like, that is one of the strongest indicators of serious future health problems. Wow. And that uh, predicts things like cancer, um, heart, um, sudden cardiac death, metabolic, a whole list of things is, is not a good thing. And uh, so physiologically speaking, it's a, you could think of it as a simple form of Morse code. Of course, physiology is a lot more complex than, you know, longs and shorts, but it's the same with the same process. Mm -hmm. And that, so that heart rhythm, this is what underlies our heart rhythm, the patterns of that, um, this is going back to our early work in the 90s again, 
is the most reflective of a person's emotional state. So our heart rhythm pattern becomes very chaotic looking when we're feeling anxious or frustrated or impatient, um, not compassionate, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it, what was really surprising in a way, back again going back to the early 90s in our work, was that the, our bodies and our physiology literally shifts into a completely different functional or operational mode when we're feeling heartfelt feelings, and I use that word because it's, thinking doesn't work. You can think appreciation, you know, oh, thank you for opening the door for me. But when you feel it, it's a very, that's what drives physiology is the emotion of it, the feeling. But when we feel things like appreciation or compassion, um, which are all part of the love spectrum in my, my way of thinking, that shifted the physiology into a completely different mode that we actually figured out what to call, it took us a few years, but we, we ended up calling coherence, which has become a term all over the place now in terms of physiological functioning. And so when we're, as it turns out, we actually have what is called a resonant frequency. Our, our bodies do, right? And when we're operating in it, that actually ends up being the same pattern that we were seeing when people are feeling things like compassion and appreciation and so on. We switch modes into a highly oper- into a highly efficient functional state. So then that also mirrors the frequency, the literal frequencies we're broadcasting and radiating out into the environment. There's a, a mathematical relationship between the rhythms of the heart and the information in, in the field. Now, I hope that made sense. Okay. I, I think I'm with you. But coherence, mm-hmm. first thing I think of is, oh, my heart rate slowed down and it's, you know, and I'm calm and collected. But that's, it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, you're talking about relaxation. Relaxation. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the word coherence. You know, if you look it up in the dictionary, the first definition usually has to do with like, like now we're having a conversation and I'm hopefully I'm putting my words together in a, in a string and in a way that conveys a meaning past all the individual words. In other mm-hmm. words, as in a coherent argument or a coherent statement. And if I'd had a little bit too much to drink to, this morning, you know, and I'm uttering nonsense that you would say I'm not coherent. I'm incoherent, right? You're incoherent. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of the common people level of it. But it's really similar in phys- science and physics. And coherence is a concept used pretty universally in, in science and physics now. And in general, we use the word coherence when we're talking about complex systems. Like us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, or even a cell is an sure. extremely complex system, living system. So... It, within the physics and science context, coherence has a lot of related meanings that are kind of umbrella. It, it means that the parts of a system have to be com- in communication. So it, it implies connectedness and correlation among the parts, right? Because they have to somehow talk to each other to be working together in a harmonious way to give rise to a function that's beyond the sum of the parts, and it also implies energy efficiency in a coherent yes. system. So we use coherence if we're talking about the cosmos. You know, it's a common yes. term, right? Or if, certainly if we're talking about the, our physiology. So to have to be in a coherent physiological state, or heart rate, uh, heart rhythm coherence, as we now call it, that means a lot is going on in our bodies that we've actually shifted into a more efficient functional state. So, which we're also now vibrating, if you will, oscillating at our, at our natural resonant frequency. 
So, in other words, the, the heart, lung, brain, blood, <clears throat> blood pressure rhythms are all synchronizing. Synchronizing, yeah. They're doing less work to get more done. And, so and that's where and, and the heart and brain come into synchrony as well the right. activity of the heart and brain in, and that's where your instruments and the work that you're doing yeah. at the at the heart math institute are designed to do well yes uh, so that was early uh, all the stuff i'm talking about now goes back into the 90s in our work so that once we un- really understood the physiology in this new functional state i mean it was, it's always been there sure i mean we're always coherent incoherent people have been in these states all along we were just kind of the first to look at it more deeply and say, wow, look what happens. You know, and by the way, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but at that time, when you search the medical literature, I think I could find three papers that had to do with what we would think of as positive emotions. Wow. Thousands on things like stress, anxiety, depression, right? Three on... What a waste. On positive. Now, that's changed. You know, and there's a whole new movement called positive psychology and, and all this going on out there. But if we study, if we study why people keep, keep saying that is so valuable. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I'm just, the point is not very few researchers that actually looked at what's going on when we feel good. It was all focused on, you know, the, <laughs> the negative side, right? Um, any, anyway, um, once we identified the state... And it was so clear that we naturally go into this op- this functional mode called coherence, mm-hmm. this optimal state, when we feel good. You know, you walk out, you may not say this, but you walk out the door to yourself, in other words, in the morning, and it's one of those days, you know, the blue skies and the perfect, you just go, oh, God, what a beautiful day. You're feeling appreciation of how I mean it. You may not think that, and you're, you're naturally going into this more coherent state. That kind of like being in the zone. Well, it would be what underlies being right. in the zone, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. that makes if that makes sense, Clay. It does. It does. I, I it just every once in a while, I hit a straight golf ball. Mm-hmm. It feels so good. Well, well being you're a golfer, you, you retake up your coherence practices because it's huge. A lot of golfers have find if they get coherent before they take the shot. You know, there's, there's over 400 studies now on, on people when they learn how to get independent of us that have uh, followed up on our research that uh, we, we feel better and we perform better, whether it's golf or Olympic athletes, um, you know, whatever, tennis. I mean, the, the list goes on. A lot of professional athletes use it now as well. Rollin, I, I want to go back to this this idea that it takes less, if that we could solve so much of the world's problems with less than 10% of the, de- uh, the defense budgets. Mm-hmm. What is between that, that solution and where we are now? And how can what you're doing and the things that that we're doing in the science get us to that that very, very um, sane place? An evolution of consciousness. And so from my perspective, consciousness is evolving. Right. So we are if we are going through, are we because it, it feels to me that we're that whatever the imperative was to go from the chimpanzee and the bonobo to the hominid to the, the something is happening now that there is an evolutionary imperative mm-hmm. something is going on that we're going into and and it is an evolution in consciousness and yeah. that's where it where it's happening 
Yeah, and and if that word is kind of strange or unfamiliar, uh, consciousness, call it awareness. You know, or, or maturity. Right. Yes. Um, that they're all kind of interchangeable in a way. So we're in we're in in our in our human species. We're at a, like like a like I I don't know where you would be. Are we in the teens? Are we we're in our teens as a species? Are we are we evolving that we can evolve into a? Yeah, well, probably not quite to our teens yet. Um, you know, I've well, I've never used this analogy for a bit. Um, if you think about it, when we were little kids, yeah. Uh, so I grew up in the Midwest in a time you know that's very different than I think these days. You know, and there was a, a, a period, I don't remember how old I was, that the backyard was our boundary, mm-hmm. right? And then we, as we you know, matured and we developed a certain level of self-regulation, right? Like be home by dark, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, literally. Uh, exactly. Right. Uh, then the block became the boundaries, you know, and off playing with the other kids and their places and that. And, and then there was the next boundary with the next level of maturity and capacity to self-regulate was now, you know, you look before you cross the street so you don't get ran over and, you know, kind of basic stuff, but it yeah. really was maturing, you know, and, and awareness. Then in my days, the, the town became the next boundary. Certainly. Right. Probably same for you guys. You're we're yeah. similar age. neighbors looking out for one another. If yeah. I did something and that it was reported back, to, it was. Yeah, well, back. yeah, that that too. But the point is, I'm making we are evolved. Our, our awareness was evolving. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And for a lot of people, we get we graduate high school or we graduate college. That kind of stops. Mm-hmm. Right. If you get my, where I'm going with that. Yeah. It's like going back to high school uh, reunion, you know, 40 years later and pick up right where you left off yeah and i think relevant to what you guys are talking about on on your interviews and shows a lot it's also through those same years is when a lot of our natural kindness and compassion and stuff kind of gets beat out of us yes Mm -hmm. um if if you will you know and uh especially later in, in that development process so I just kind of use that as a backdrop or an analogy for what, what I mean to where, you know, we start evolving to where it makes more sense, even for our own. And many, many studies bear out what I'm about to say here, that it's really collaborate, collaborating with others and being kind and compassionate is the best for our own careers and certainly for our relationships. I was just, in the, before you even invited me to this, I, I was just reading something that what women want most in men is kindness. It's a, it's amazing. It's it, it, it's extraordinary what we can do. And 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 what I love about that, and what Clay and I have have certainly experienced and all, is that it's there. It's an it's our nature, but it gets. Be- I love the way you were saying it was beaten out of us, or it was layered over, or whatever. And it's a deconstruction that gets it back to our natural state, which it right. which is love. Yeah. So we have to unlearn a lot of what we. Uh, yeah. At least I've, I've had to, you know. And, Me too. Uh, that is, so much of that has been has, has been part of that. So where where are you now, Roland? Uh, uh, w- tell me what uh, what your your work is in helping to elevate the consciousness or to or to bring into the coherence. Well, the reason I got involved thirty some years ago, uh, after in fact, she sold my uh, electrostatics company mm-hmm. uh, for way less than it was worth. 
uh, kind of qu to quickly exit and, and do what I do now was uh, met the founder the, of HeartMath, uh, Doc Childress, his name. And so I was, well, I'll just tell you the real story here of how that all began. I, he was on the East Coast in the North Carolina area, and I was back there doing some work from our company on the Research Triangle area, and, and uh, I was introduced through some mutual friends through the earlier years. So I was talking about the consciousness studies and all that. And uh, this guy sounds, this character sounds interesting. I'll go pop over, spend an hour, meet the guy. And three days later, um, I, I left. <laughs> true, true story, actually. And through that, um, he was talking about his history. And, and uh, we, had, we had a lot of similar backgrounds, both, you know, from being when our, in our early years, poor being raised in poor families and farming communities. And mine was in Missouri and Nebraska, that area. And all the kind of school of hard knocks that we'd kind of gone through, if, if you will. Um, and what he had, uh, he had studied very deeply a lot, a lot of things that uh, was similar to me. It just gone a lot deeper than I had. And um, was talking about the heart, not just as a metaphor, you know, and through my meditation practices, you know, we would meditate mm -hmm. and whip energy through the heart chakra and all this stuff. Yeah. You know, so I was very adept at that through, through those practices, but it was never really taking the heart seriously, as in the the, um, the way I would tend to describe it now. I'm going to diverge a little bit here to really answer your question. We have the physical heart, but we also have what we now call the energetic heart, and I'm saying it's real and it's yeah. a real structure. It's just at the vibrational level, that thing we can't yet put under the microscope. And if that's the bridge or the transceiver, to use my communications language, to what uh, here, I, I just call it the large or larger self mm -hmm. that's vibrating at a higher dimension and literally in a higher dimension or, or sure. a different dimension of density is the way I really think of it. But, but anyway, uh, you, a lot of people would call it their higher self or their spirit or their soul. Sure. Um, just saying, I'm here to say that's real. And that the heart is the bridge to that. And um, I'll go as far as saying in my own personal experience and, and our research, that that's an eye of a needle that you, you just can't bypass. Right. And it, it is that it is really getting the, the mind to finally surrender to that other level of intelligence that elevates awareness and consciousness. That gets us to rise above our judgments and our biases and our kind of 3D level consciousness uh, it's a long story she made really short there but um but compelling it's so compelling what, me because it makes me want to know more yeah. that's what i because that for me when you talk when you talk about the that the heart having intelligence mm -hmm. and it having its uh, that that there is an intelligence there and that that, that we tap into it we then that is real yeah yeah and uh yeah and that is what elevates consciousness is tapping into that that flow of information. So we could could we say that compassion, the, the 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 when we're searching for compassion, we're searching for it both in ourselves and searching for it out because there is value yeah. in that search. Yeah. So what opens? So I I think of this um, this mechanism or this network I was just talking about very much like radio systems. I can't help it. I'm an ex-radio guy, right? Yep. But it, but it really is like that. It's a, a signaling system between different 
dimensions, if you will. I mean, the magnetic fields are all around you right now in the room you're in, right? Clay and Dennis in here, all the cell phone conversations. So when we get our phone out, how do we get the information we want? We tune the receiver to be resonant with the frequency of interest. And yes. as soon as we do that, we transfer the energy and information and amplify it up and we're having our phone call. I'm just saying we work the same way between our larger self, right? And uh, so that level of our, our own the undivided wholeness is another way of saying it, mm-hmm. uh, is in communication with the, through via the energetic heart right down to the DNA level to all the cells. And at the, I mean, who are we talking to anyway when we go deeper and talk to ourselves inside? Yes. Um, we get the, I'm not talking about mental chatter now. I'm talking about those deeper mm-hmm. right, um, core um, understandings of who we are and what we're here to be and who we really are. And those kinds I of love things. having these conversations, Roland uh, and, and Clay, because the, 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 I know that this conversation might not have made a lot of sense to me before, but because of the depth of the learning and the studies that I'm doing, I'm going to be able to, to see. And, and I'm, I'm trying to think about this conversation in 50 years that would be very prosaic, that they would, that the people would be really talking about this is the normal part of conversation rather than something, rather than something esoteric. Yeah. That reminds me, I hadn't thought about this in years that, but your comment, I'll, 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 um, before I tell you this story though, I don't want to lose the point that it is those heartfelt feelings of appreciation, compassion, kindness, care, love that opens that channel that I'm talking about. So there, you can't get through that eye of the needle with the, the, just the mind, you know, the judgments and the biases and the, yeah. all the sorting that the mind wants to do. But the story you just reminded me of, I'm actually an official mad scientist. Um, <laughs> Uh, true story. It's I've, I've got a somewhere. I've got it back here. A few, quite a few years ago now, maybe f- five, six, seven years ago. Wired magazine um, uh, selected, um, I think, f- three, maybe four, uh, what they considered mad scientists. They actually had a whole center page. They did cartoons of us. Nice. Uh, the, the, here, but here's the point that I that made your, your comment reminded me of: to be qualified to be a mad scientist. Because we had to be doing work that was kind of considered far out and kind of wacky. Uh, but a generation or two from now would be considered common sense. So that's what reminded me of that. Yeah. And that's where I see this. And that's where I see this going. Yeah. Uh, I see the, uh, the, the because the opportunity, because when we look at something that is mad and MAD is spending less than 10% of the budget of the military that we have of destruction that could end up solving the, all of the, the problems of poverty. That's madness. It, it is, isn't it? It's a problem. So you're going to say we're, we're moving to sanity as, as opposed to being something outrageous. That is yeah. that anyone looking at that would go, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Clay, you want to? Yeah. So, okay. So we've been talking about the individual pretty much mm-hmm. and okay so i've got a field around me mm-hmm. there's something bigger going on that you're involved with and uh, i, I want to hear about that okay all right so i, I wanted to give that background that absolutely we are fields mm-hmm. because all right so god i can how do I go into this um so let me just tell you the evolution of our 
Cliff Notes version of our research. Okay, so we can measure fields out here. We can take the information and see that it's carrying information, probably about a whole lot more of it emotions, but for sure about our emotional state. So what we're feeling inside doesn't stop at the skin. It's We're broadcasting it. And I think everybody knows that we can feel that from others. We've seen that. You've walked, someone walks into a room yeah. and the entire, the entire uh, atmosphere yeah. changes. We know that. We've seen everyone's experience. Yeah, we've intuitively, we know that and have seen it. So the next, I'll just give you the quick notes here. The next step in our research will say, okay, well, that's neat. So what? Does that have measurable effects on other people? And that was an easy question to answer, actually. And there's multiple studies for people that want the, the hardcore research on all this sure. all published. Uh, in other words, our physiology is exquisitely tuned to receiving and responding to the the amplitude and frequencies of other biologically generated or fields. Now, we're tuned to each other, so our not only are we radiating, we're also receiving and measurably affected by others. Okay, you you kind of already alluded to that, Dennis. So that was I that's have. all published. Yes. All right. So now we'll take it bigger. So that's the living room level. Right. Then, so then we got into, I'm going to skip our intuition research. That's a whole other topic. Maybe we can talk about it another time. But to answer Clay's question, we, that's what, this is where we get into what's called the Global Coherence Initiative or GCI. And so we start um, to, we, we now have a, a global network of really ultra sensitive magnetometers that are specifically designed to, to measure the resonant frequencies or the vibrations in the Earth's magnetic field. So we have these sites. I wish we didn't have to do this ourselves. It's really expensive and a real pain in the rear to do. But uh, we've got sites, one here in California, uh, northern Canada, Saudi Arabia, uh, Lithuania, New Zealand. Um, I'm probably forgetting some, but so this is a, this global network that we're able to literally measure the um, the rhythms of the earth is what the magnetic field. So let me give a little context here. When we, um, I have a little prop over there. It's just too far away for me to reach right now. But if you think of the earth, right? And you've got the geomagnetic field, you know, the thing our compasses tune into sure. the North pole, the South pole. We all learned about that back in probably junior high in our, our era. And, uh, you know, if you remember back, to when we were in grade school or whenever it was, you got to dump iron filings. Hope you guys got yes. to do that, right? On a glass plate. Absolutely. You put your under it. Yeah. You put your magnet under it, you move it around, and it was fun. You play with it, and it, it visualizes the shape of the magnetic field. But here's what I want to go one more level. If you think back, those iron filings lined up in lines, right? It wasn't just kind of black blob. They're all so those are also visualizing not, not already seeing the shape of the field, depending on whether it's a bar or a ball or whatever. Uh, those are, are letting us see what are called magnetic field lines, okay, or flux lines if we're using engineering terms. But anyway, the Earth so the Earth's magnetic field, this big donut or toroidal shape around the planet, which goes out into space many many thousands of miles, is the same way, magnetic field lines. Now here's what we didn't learn, at least I didn't back then is that you can pluck magnetic field lines and they vibrate just like a guitar string. Really? Hmm. Yeah. And it's a great analogy. I mean, any stringed instrument, but I'll just use guitar. You change the length of the string and the tension, it changes its vibration, right? It's note, it's frequency. Same way with Earth. So we've got really long 
magnetic field lines, so they have a lower frequency. Now, what's plucking these magnetic field lines, and the fact the science term for this is called field line resonances. Hmm. Okay, So what's plucking the strings is the solar wind rushing by, which is about a million miles per hour. And meanwhile, Earth is turning, and so is the sun, right? In fact, Earth is within the magnetic field of the sun, right? So there's all these levels of fields. We live within fields within fields, right? So the, mag- the magnetic field lines are vibrating. And so when we measure the frequency of these vibrating field lines down here on Earth through our global network of magnetometers, the in frequency language, one of the primary resonant frequencies is a frequency called 0.1 hertz. Okay, that's a cycle every 10 seconds. Mm. And guess what the frequency of the human coherent heart rhythm is? 0.1. 0.1. I'm going to pause a minute and let that soak in. Okay, so part two, think back to science class when we were back in middle school or whatever it was and we got to play with tuning forks right or if you didn't you've all everybody's seen the examples sure. right you have two tuning forks the, the same tune to the same note you tap one the other starts to magically vibrate it's, it's demonstrating what's called resonant coupling oh okay i had that with my guitars absolutely you can do it clocks on a wall guitars mm-hmm. you vibr- you can hit one the same note the other starts to vibrate right Absolutely, resonant coupling. All that is showing is you can transfer energy and information when systems vibrate at the same frequency. Same back to our cell phones, all those frequencies. We tune. I'm old, you guys are old enough, too. Remember back when you have to turn knobs on radios? Oh, yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're literally moving the plates within a capacitor to change the resonant frequency. Then once it, you hit the, the right frequency, boom, you're listening to your radio station or having your phone call. So that's just the simple basics of if we're, our physiology is vibrating, oscillating at the same frequency as the primary frequencies of Earth, it's not a big jump to understand how we can be tr- transferring energy and information from us to the, to, the, to the bigger field. Am I making sense here? You follow? Yes. 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 Not only are we, when we're radiating our frequencies, you know, love, compassion versus, you know, impatience. Mm-hmm. anger, frustration. It, we're, we're feeding our, not only feeding our local field, that is coupling to the larger field. So all of humanity is now contributing to the larger global field, the information being carried by the larger field. And so Absolutely. if this large population is vibrating the same, then we're sending some stuff out. Yeah, well, we're receiving it mm-hmm. and we're, we're radiating so that next evolution that we're talking about in consciousness, kind of one of the sayings here that, for GCI that's kind of naturally emerged is, uh, please become aware of what, what are you feeding the field? Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. I, so one of my calls to action usually before I get done with most presentations or talks is, hey, pause throughout today and just ask yourself that. What am I feeding the field? Is that part two of that is what we feed the field matters. I Love that. Because if <clears throat> that means that everything matters, that means that I can sit, I can, I can make a difference mm-hmm. by changing. I love the word mindful, 
because it gives me an opportunity to look at it rather than in a binary state. I get to look at it in, 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 in a, along the spectrum that I can become more mindful moving toward the one and moving in that direction to become more coherent. Yeah, I mean, mindful is a great term. And I, back in the, what would have been 80s for me, I studied mindfulness and practiced that during the, that era. And, um, you know, and it's really great because, you know, mindful or mindfulness is really becoming more self-aware of what we're thinking and feeling and, and, and hopefully more objective about it uh, and as an observer. But uh, I would also like to suggest, if I may, that as we evolve a little more, that mindful term will probably fade away and it'll become more about being more heartful. Heartful. Mm-hmm. I love that because I mean, that really, <laughs> that, that really, that, that, <clears throat> That brings us around to compassion and it brings us around to be a, using this as a power and really to being, a, being able to, to leverage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, exactly. So we have a lot more. I mean, you know, there's so much. I'm 30 years of research, it's hard to shove, cram 30 years of that into an hour here. But goodness, no. Um, kind of what it's really important, I think, to understand that that radio knob we were talking about, we have one inside of us. And we have a lot more capacity and power to tune our own dial than we think, to align with our larger self, and re- and really become more energetic, resp- energetically responsible for what we're feeling and thinking and what we're radiating into the field. And there's a lot of, if you don't want to do it because you care for other people, well, do it for yourself. Exactly. Because but, you know, you know. The the thing that I find interesting, Roland, is that you're everything that I have studied from any of the any of the masters in spirituality, uh, any of the the, the scientists that they are talking about the same thing that you are you you're you're bringing this, you are applying the science, applying the science to what all the great teachers that I have uh, that I have ever studied uh, were either implying or directly saying. Yeah, you know. It's interesting you say that. It's true, absolutely. And it's also true in the scientific community. And uh, I've had the, the honor, I would say, to meet a lot of pretty well-known scientists over, over my career. And we've, we've had uh, a lot of them have visited here. And uh, it kind of reminds me of a conference um, we had here on uh, the, the question that was being discussed was, does are quantum processes involved in brain function and brain activity? Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, like Roger Penrose was here and Carl Prebrum and uh, just about 30, you know, similar names, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were here for about a week and we had a lot of time to hang out at night and, you know, around a campfire in some cases and stuff and just talk and get to know each other. And Basil Hiley, uh, David Bohm had already passed away, but his main was here, uh, contributor of, of his. And, uh, for example, and, and have, having these kind of discussions, kind of like we're having now, we talk about a larger self that really guides and directs the physiology. And all of these guys were, well, of course it's that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really true. I mean, you know, the, the really great minds and thinkers have absolutely no problem with the discussion we're having today. And it's kind of obvious to them, you know, that it, it, it's really the... 
oh, I'm going to be kind here, but the scientist wannabes, maybe, uh, you know, yeah. you're kind of climbing the ladder and you're really stuck in the dogma and, and religion. Mm-hmm. And to me, science has become the new religion and it's sure. just as dogmatic as religion. Of course. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, I, I work in a nonprofit research center here, so I don't I don't have to worry about tenure and don't really, you know, have to play sure. that game to the same same way. You know, the people who resist this kind of things, you know, they're still stuck at that lower level. They haven't really matured enough to and their awareness to really understand that, you know, the to me, even from a childhood, frankly, the idea that a lightning bolt hit a pond of mud, you know, millions of years ago, and we evolved into who we are now against all the laws of thermodynamics. Thermodynamics is just absolutely absurd. Yeah. I could never, just never could... You know, and I know all this, the, the models of, or not all, but a lot of the models about, you know, self-organization and mm-hmm. all that. But even that falls apart with a little deeper thinking. You know, I, this whole time, what keeps coming through my head is, you know, I, I work with men. I've got a men's circle. I've got a network around the world. You know, how do we take this to action? You know, uh, the guy that's, you know, he doesn't know about all this stuff, but he's searching. You know, he's he's got this hole in inside of him and he's trying to figure out what do i do how do i get unstuck well that's that's i think you you were one of the early adopters in a way but that's really why heart math exists the heart math institute is, is to provide practical research based not that that matters but it's a nice add-on uh, approaches tools techniques that we really can use to to really grow in our, our capacity to self-regulate to um, have more control over our emotional diet and uh, become more self-aware and, and able to make, I call them turnarounds. Um, yeah. You know, I, what I mean by that, uh, Clay, is a, by a turnaround is somebody does something, you know, that frustrates us, you know, or we there goes that typical, almost automated, unconscious reaction. Right. Frustration, impatience, anger, whatever that is. And uh, the analogy I like to use, it's like the trains leaving the station. You know, and because uh, the train's pretty good, you know, it's building up momentum. And I've actually had, I'm sure you have too, the experience of that train gets too far down the track, that emotional train I'm talking about. You're, you're sitting there watching going, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> yep. oh boy. Um, <laughs> yep. There it goes. I see it happening. And I know the play out. And it, hap- it is still, it's too far down the track. We can't stop it and turn it around. That reminds me, I, I should have pulled it out, but sitting away across over there on my bookshelf is a little book called Freeze Frame. Ah, yes, our first book. Your first book, yeah. 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 So, but the whole point, why I say turnarounds, is we, it takes a little bit of practice, but once, yeah. we, that, once that emotion starts building, and this is not about suppressing, that never works, but it's about turning that energy around and shifting that same energy, you know, into a neutral or... With practice, it can even be appreciation, compassion, care, kindness. But uh, um, and then that that does nothing but benefit us. Our immune system, our hormonal system, um, gets us into that coherent state. We're able to think better, clearer, make better decisions. I mean, mm. So it just takes some practice. But you know, most people just haven't been taught. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, some folks will listen to the podcast and. Uh, it's getting out there. I've got it's being picked up in several places in Africa now. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, I'm very very happy with it. And I know your time is tight, and I want to invite you back. 
I'd love to. This, so, I, this was fun. This is very different than most types of uh, conversations. Well, you know, I'm really trying to commu- communicate. And, you know, probably about as many women watch this as men. Mm-hmm. And same with my uh, websites. You know, the stats show that sometimes there are more women on the website than there are men. Yeah. You know, they're looking for a resource for their man. And uh, the heart math message um is a very powerful one. And I'm really grateful that you took some time this afternoon. My pleasure. My pleasure. And please come back. Oh, I'd have, just let me know when you know I'd like to, and we'll find a time. Great. Thank you so much, Roland. I love that you're giving me the opportunity to exit the conversation at a higher level than I entered it, oh. uh, at a higher level of consciousness, Roland. Thank you. Thank you for, for this, for this opportunity to, to open my mind and to really to get into my heart and to really to, to explore that, to be heartful. And to be, because I can, I can, I can experience that. Now I can explore it and work into that place. Thank you. Thank you so much for this time. Uh, Clay, thank you for, for allowing me to be along this journey in search of the new compassionate male in myself and in uh, you and in you, Roland, and to be able to see the beautiful examples that we have because we're going on from here on. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast and there will be more coming. So stay tuned. We will see you in search of the new compassionate male next time. Check out the latest episode of in search of the new compassionate male on your favorite podcast station. 